even with that defense being great, at some point they're going to get in the shootout. He's a great coordinator, not a great head coach. I think there's one thing we're all saying for a fact. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. Thank you for listening. This is a very special episode for you guys, not just because it isn't one where you have two people on the show. This is the first episode in a while where it's just me. And the reason why it's just me is because I'm not really having the viewers on, but the viewers are going to have an impact on this episode. I'm going to be looking through some of the questions that people are asking right now. I posted something on my Twitter, yet again, at no huddle NFL, no capitals, and no spaces with an underscore at the end, asking you guys, the people that listen to the show, the people that look at my content on Twitter, I just straight up asked, hey, you know, it's the bye week. What do you want me to tackle? What topics do you want me to tackle in this episode? And I have four questions that I want to look at. But first, there's a little bit of head coaching news that I want to talk about, starting with both Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick staying where they are. The offensive coordinator... For the Texans, Bobby Slowick agreed to a new deal to remain the offensive coordinator on the Houston Texans. This is despite him having a lot of head coaching consideration, right? He probably would be able to land that job in the last available coaching vacancy on the Washington Commanders, right? He would probably be the top candidate if he was still in this race. But no, he decided to take the guaranteed money, okay? The Texans, I can't 100% guarantee this is how the negotiation process went, but I'm very, very confident that it went a little something like, hey, you know, I'm the Texans owner, or I'm the GM head coach, I'm not sure exactly who, but someone walked up to him and said, you can search for a head coaching job, but if you don't, here's a big paycheck, here's a alteration to your contract where you would get paid more. All you have to do is not search for a head coaching job right now. And he said, yeah, I could get paid somewhere else. I could get paid more somewhere else. But there's a little bit of a risk to that, right? Because if I try and get one of the two head coaching jobs that were available when this report came out, Seattle and Washington, now it's just Washington. We'll talk about the Seattle hiring right after this. But, you know, you only have two opportunities to get a head coaching job. So you either take potentially a lot of money, but if you don't land either of them, then you're just getting paid the same amount that you did this year, or become one of, if not the highest paid offensive coordinator in the entire NFL. He preferred the guaranteed money, and he's hoping that he'll just get a head coaching job next year. Maybe there will be a better opportunity where you can make more money, right? Slowick got a raise, and he wasn't a heavy favorite to get a head coaching job like the other guy that I want to talk about, 
Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson is still getting paid the same amount that he did last year. Despite having a tremendous year this year, he also had a tremendous year last year. I'm surprised he wasn't brought up more as a head coaching candidate last year. But he said he's going to stay on the Detroit Lions. And, again, there's no money, you know, financial reason for him to be doing this. There were three reasons I was able to think of. And one of them, Rappaport did tweet, along with a report that Johnson's staying. And I'm going to start with that one. Johnson wants a Lombardi trophy. He wants to win a ring. Okay. And you would hope, as a head coach somewhere else, you could bring the team to the Super Bowl. But the fact is, there's only one winner every year. Okay, and only four teams make it as far as the Lions did this year. And that's four out of 32 teams. And there's a reason all the teams that are available right now were searching for a head coach. Because they were, at least in the owner's opinion, very far away from being one of those top four teams. So, Johnson sees it as an opportunity to get a Lombardi, to win a ring in his NFL career. He thinks this is the best chance he'll get, or at least a very good chance, and he doesn't want to waste it. Right? I, I think that's a very possible reason, because even though you know the, the very pessimistic people want to say, oh, coaches are only in this league to make money, players are only in this league to make money, I like to hope that there is a couple people like Ben Johnson that see the Lombardi as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? See making the NFC Championship with a staff of guys that you like, right? We know that Dan Campbell staff loves football, okay? Being surrounded with those guys, Johnson enjoys being there. He wants to continue to do that. Of course, he would also enjoy making head coach money, but he would also really enjoy Winning a ring with a group of guys he likes, with a group of players he likes, okay? It's a very wholesome reason to stick around. And, of course, other coaches want to win a ring. But not many other coaches are fine wasting, not wasting, but throwing away an opportunity to become a head coach in order to do that. Throwing away an opportunity to make a lot more money in order to do that. So it's very nice to think Ben Johnson is one of the people willing to do that. But of course, that's not the only reason. Come on. I think another reason is he wants to learn more to ensure that he can be a successful head coach. All right. It's similar to, this is really a throwback, but Bill Walsh, he was part of the Bengals staff when they had Ken Anderson, right? And that was the original West Coast offense on the Bengals. A lot of people don't know that. So there's a little fun fact right there. But he had the opportunity to go up in the NFL world. And what did he do? He left the NFL as a whole. Started being the head coach for a college football team. Because he saw that as an opportunity to learn more about being a head coach in this league. And he did. He learned from that experience and then... Eventually, he became a great coach on the 49ers. That very likely doesn't happen if he leaves the Bengals. You know, hinders his progress 
going up, 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 up in the NFL world. He wanted to learn a lesson about how to run a team from a head coach perspective, from a head coaching position. And he figured the best way to do that wasn't risking an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL, wasn't spoiling his name by having his first experience as a head coach be in the NFL. No, he wanted to be a head coach in college first because at least then if you fail, you're not failing in an NFL setting, right? And you're not proving to the whole world that you can't be a head coach in the NFL. It's better to take an extra two, three years being a coordinator and then be 100% sure that you can be a successful head coach than become a head coach too early, not do very well, get fired, and then you never get a head coach an opportunity ever again. And I think Ben Johnson knows that because it is very difficult to get a second head coaching opportunity. It's very difficult. I mean, look at how long it took Raheem Morris, right? So I think that could be part of it. I think he wants to learn more from Dan Campbell, and now he gets to look at what Dan Campbell's doing as a head coach and ask himself why. Or ask Dan Campbell even, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? He's going to go through the season more from the perspective of a student trying to learn more about being a head coach in this league than just someone trying to design an offense and call plays every week. And there's a third reason. He doesn't like the opportunities available. That very well could be it. Keep in mind, because he was in the NFC Championship, he was behind everyone else in the head coaching search, right? When he finished up his game, there was there was two opportunities, right? There was Washington and there was Seattle. Those were the only two jobs he could have got. And, you know, maybe if the Falcons were still available, maybe if, I mean, obviously not the Panthers, but maybe if the Panthers were still available or something like that, he would be more willing to take a head coaching job this year. But out of those two options, he clearly doesn't like them enough. He'd rather wait another year and then try and be a head coach next year and have way more, way better opportunities. And all three of those are very fair reasons for Johnson. And Sloak's reason, too, was very fair. They have fair reasons to stay as an OC. But I do want to say this. Head coaching opportunities don't grow on trees. Head coaching hype doesn't grow on trees. It's very possible next year we're looking at this and the names Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick aren't even remotely in the conversation. I mean, look at Byron Leftwich, right? The Buccaneers killed it. Killed it with him as the OC. And he was a very, very, you know, topical head coaching candidate during that offseason. And then he didn't end up getting hired. What happened the next year? Fired. Completely gone. Not even an OC anymore. Stuff moves quick in this league, man. You could go from a head coach one second to, oh yeah, now I'm so focused on being, or head coaching candidate one second, to, oh yeah, now I'm really, 
you know, looking at the game from a head coaching perspective, now you suck at the coordinator job and you're not even a coordinator. You're completely unemployed. Sometimes it's better to pull the trigger early, even if it's less safe, even if it's a little bit risky because you might not end up getting a head, you know, you might not end up getting a second opportunity as a head coach if you soil this one. At least you sign a contract and you're getting paid head coach money. Even if you're not a successful head coach, you're still getting paid head coach money. And sometimes it's better to pull that trigger early to guarantee that you get that head coaching money. Now, I'm not going to disagree with what Ben Johnson did, with what Bobby Slowick did. But the fact is, if golf gets hurt, if the O-line doesn't play as well next year, all of a sudden you don't have the same hype around you. And for Slowick, what if teams start to really figure him out? What if C.J. Stroud has a sophomore slump? Now he's not being considered. And, I mean, hey, if he really, if the offense really looks that bad, right, and teams really figure him out that much, anything's possible in this league. Could be completely unemployed. Okay, it sounds ridiculous to say, but, I mean, this is the NFL. Stuff is unpredictable. Okay. Again, I'm not saying these guys made a dumb choice. I'm saying that they're taking a risk. They definitely are. I hope it pays off for them because I love seeing Ben Johnson at work. I love seeing Bobby Slowick at work. But anything's possible in this league, man. Anything is. And that's why you see a lot of people take this safer choice. Because you never know. Nothing is ever for certain. You could have hype around you one year, and the next year you're completely out of the discussion. Now, the Seahawks might have been looking at those two guys. They might have. But, as we said, they were completely out of the discussion. So, the Seahawks ended up hiring the next best X's nose guy. In fact, this might be the best X's nose guy. With Ben Johnson out of the discussion, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, definitely was the best X's nose guy was the guy who you look at, you know, their defense, their offense, whatever. You look at what he does, the schemes he put together, it's the most advanced out of anyone available in the head coaching conversation. I mean, his ability, I talked about this so much. I'm reading a book right now about it by Cody Alexander. It's called Hybrids, The Making of a Modern Defense. And... It says so much about how the league has evolved, right? You're no longer seeing guys get drafted as tweeners and people saying, oh, yeah, this guy's a tweener. He's going to suck in this league. How's he going to fit in? No, it's more of, why would I want someone that isn't a tweener? That guy's less versatile because he's not a tweener. I'd rather have someone that could line up at two different spots than someone that can only line up at one. I mean, that's the outlook now. It used to be, oh, this guy doesn't have a solidified role on the team. He's not good enough at this specific role, at one specific role. Why would I want him? Now it's about versatility. Now you don't want your defense to be rigid. You want everything to be able to move around, everything to shift. You want a player to be able to drop into the flats one play and then that same player to be able to blitz the next play and that same player to be able to drop into you know, the middle third the next play. 
Like, you want them to be able to do everything. And then also lock up Travis Kelsey in man coverage. Like, you want players that can do everything. And McDonald takes that to a whole nother level. Whole nother level. You never know what anyone is going to do pre-snap. When you watch this defense, anyone can be doing anything. You could see Travis Jones, all 320 pounds of him, dropping back into the middle zone. Okay? You could see Kyle Hamilton, a safety, blitzing. You could see Brandon Stevens, a corner, blitzing. You could see all this different stuff. Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, they're never doing the same thing two plays in a row. It's always something different. And just the ability to put that together, the controlled chaos of the Ravens' defense is really beautiful. Beautiful to watch. And this is what modern defenses have to look like. We hear so much about positionless offense, positionless offense. How do you counter that? Positionless defense. Okay? I mean, that's what it is. The league is heading more and more in a positionless way. And it doesn't matter if you like it, don't like it. It's what it is. Okay? And McDonald is the leader in the positionless defense movement. He is. Again, nothing is ever the same as you would expect it to be pre-snap in his defense. And it really is brilliant. It's brilliant, the defense that he runs. And despite all this praise I have for McDonald, and despite the fact I think that he was one of the top head coaching candidates this year, even though I didn't predict him to go anywhere, I really just thought because the NFL seems to have a certain opinion about defensive-minded guys, uh... Despite that, uh, he was one of my favorite head coaching candidates. I don't love this hiring for Seattle. I don't. It's nothing against McDonald. I love McDonald, and I hope he succeeds. I just think if you look at it from the context of Seattle and where their roster is and what the expectations are for them right now, why take the risk on an inexperienced guy? If Washington brought in Mike McDonald, love it, love it. But I don't like this for Seattle. I really don't. They have the talent to compete right now at this moment. Of course, they're lacking some pieces on defense, and McDonald is going to help make up for that with his advanced scheme. But I truly think the biggest reason that their defense is lacking a couple guys is because their inability to hit on draft picks. I, I really think that's why. Or at least their early draft picks. I, I think they really struggle in that area. They don't develop talent overly well. I mean, last year, that rookie class, that was great. With Ken Walker, you know, you had Tariq Woolen. The two tackles were playing great, but then, oh, what happened? The tackles fell off. Tariq Woolen fell off. McDonald might be able to develop young talent. He might be able to acquire young talent. He might be able to hit on his draft picks. We don't know. You know, it's not a definite. Meanwhile, we know an available head coach, Mike Rabel, who I expected to go here, and I'm still very surprised, very disappointed he didn't end up coming here. We know he could do it. We've seen him do it with Jeffrey Simmons. Right. He made it him into a stud and then we've also seen him develop role players like Rashawn Evans like Adoree Jackson like Harold Landry 
And then even when he doesn't have superb talent, even when he doesn't have the best guys in the world, he knows how to make a disciplined, rock-solid defensive unit. Can McDonald do that? Maybe. Once again, I don't know. Okay? But the thing is, we've seen Vrabel do it. We know he can do it for a fact. McDonald, maybe. We don't know. And, again, maybe we don't know is a fine answer if you're rebuilding for the future and you had time to really see it. But even though McDonald is great from an X's nose perspective, I, I can't stress that enough. Seattle has a quarterback that's in his that's in his prime right now. And he's damn good. They have a lot of superbly talented players that they don't have to pay yet. DK Metcalf, Ken Walker. I mean, they have guys. They have the ability to make a run right now and bringing in a coach with this many question marks. Question marks like, how can McDonald manage a staff? How well can he put together a staff? I don't know, <laughs> right? Can McDonald still call his advance carefully put together defense while responsible for so much more? I don't know. Can McDonald manage a game well from a head coaching position? I don't know. You know, all those questions, when someone like Vrabel is available, as a team that's trying to compete right now, why? You know, why? It's not like Vrabel is just mediocrity. He's a great head coach in this league. Great head coach. You know, he's not Shanahan, he's not McVay, but he's a great head coach in this league. And he's done it before. He has the experience. Why is it that a team like Seattle goes with someone like this? I, I get it. He'll elevate the defense. Probably. But what if he can't run the carefully put together defense that he ran in Baltimore? What then? Because, again, that, that takes a lot of focus. To train everyone to be able to do every different role that you have to do as a defensive player, that you could possibly do as a defensive player, that's, that's tough. You have to spend a lot of time doing that. I don't know if he'll be able to do that as a head coach, okay? Because there's a lot of other stuff he has to pay attention to as a head coach. If you ask me, I think Vrabel would have been a better hire. I think, even though Belichick wouldn't have made much sense because they moved on from Pete Carroll, he also would have been a better hire, in my opinion. And speaking of moving on from Carroll, I think that that's a bad move. Now that we know their final decision, I also think Raheem Morris, if you wanted to take a swing on someone, you know, is less of a definite, at least Raheem Morris has the experience on both sides of the ball. I feel like he would have made sense here. Even Dan Quinn, they were going for him. I know it's really hard to end up taking him after his poor performance against the Packers, but maybe you want to go with him instead. At least he has the experience. I don't like this. I don't. I love McDonald, and I hope I'm wrong. And there definitely is a world where this works out. But personally, I'm not a fan of this risky play. I'm really not. Th that's my overall take. Uh, again, I love seeing McDonald's defense at work. But, I mean, we heard it in the opening of the show. There's many guys who are just coordinators, not great head coaches. And I'm not going to give... 
McDonald that title because we haven't seen him as a head coach yet. But there's a possibility that he is deserving of that title. Meanwhile, once again, Vrabel's right there. You had Pete Carroll. You know, you could have even brought in Belichick. It, it wouldn't have really made sense because he moved on from Carroll. But, you know, you had guys who have experience winning in this league. And you chose not to go with them. You chose to move on from a guy who has that experience. A guy that the locker room loves. Not a fan of this decision. I'm really not. Anyway, let's move on to your questions. Most of these are revolving around coaching discussions, right? So this is really like a coaching-themed episode. Let's start with one from someone who was just on the show in the last episode where I talked about the conference championship and my analysis, our analysis, of how the games went down. Hammy commented, What route does Washington go with the head coach cycle? Do they hire Vrabel, Dan Quinn, or is there anyone else in mind? And if they do go with a defensive-minded head coach like Quinn or Vrabel, who should be the offensive coordinator? Well, let's start by addressing that first statement. Who do they go with? Well, I looked at who they interviewed. There's only four guys left in the discussion that they interviewed. Those guys are Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator on the Lions, Ravens associate head coach and defensive line coach, Anthony Weaver. Cowboys defensive coordinator that we just mentioned, Dan Quinn. And in-house hire, if they were to make it, commander's offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. Out of those four, my favorite is Aaron Glenn. It is. Weaver, I don't really like because he wasn't a good defensive coordinator in Houston. And I want to see him be a good DC before I see him as a head coach. You know, even though the Ravens were very good, they had a lot going for them. You know, this was the first year where they won a playoff game in a while. Okay, uh, Weaver would make a little bit more sense, like if the Ravens went on to win it all. But you know, I, they have so much talent. They only had one playoff win he's an associate head coach so and you know it's nice to bring in someone who's an associate head coach because they have experience addressing the entire team but i i want to see him succeed as a defensive coordinator before i'm really willing to throw him into head coaching conversations then dan quinn he strikes me as one of those guys who like we said good coordinator not a good head coach just not i mean like he he could Take a very good roster to eight and nine, nine and eight, maybe ten and seven, but I, I don't think he'll do much in playoffs unless he has Kyle Shanahan calling plays and then Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. Dan Quinn, I, I think he's fine as a coordinator. I, I wouldn't take him in as a head coach personally. Even though I just said I would like him in Seattle, although I, I don't want to say I like him in Seattle. Just really quickly backtracking. I would just say I like the rationale more if they were to go with Dan Quinn than I would with Mike McDonald. But we had that discussion already. Let's keep moving on. Biennemi is my second favorite out of those four. And it definitely helps that he's an in-house hire 
But how much does continuity really matter if you're in need of pretty much a whole new roster? Right? Like, how much does it matter if you retain the same offensive mind and the type of offense stays the same if you're just scrapping all the players besides Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson anyway? For me, I, I think Glenn is the best call. And initially, when head coaching conversations started up, I wasn't big on Aaron Glenn, but then I saw more from the Lions defense. I'm starting to have a better understanding of the fact that the Lions defense not being great, that's not on Glenn. Real. Or it kind of is because he didn't really adjust to the talent too well, but he knows his X's nose. He knows how to call a defense. He definitely does. And he knows how to scheme up a defense. As bad as that line secondary was, he was very good at making up for those weaknesses with a very creative bunch of blitz packages. Okay. He has the X's and O's. The players love him. I mean, bringing in anyone from that Dan Campbell coaching tree, great. That That's a very good ideology because it's very important you have a coach that players like okay that's why carol was so good that's why a lot of coaches end up being so good because the, the players like them the players respect them and i think guys like aaron glenn even ben johnson you'll feel that way about the guys that come from the campbell tree i mean they're they're players coaches that is a tree of players coaches because they're all former players they all are including aaron glenn so the players love him. He understands where the players are coming from. And he's been a part of a successful rebuild. What are the commanders trying to do? They're trying to rebuild. So you want someone that knows how to command a rebuild. Eric Bieniemy hasn't done it. Dan Quinn hasn't done it. Anthony Weaver hasn't done it. Aaron Glenn has. He was a part of that Lions rebuild. He was a part of the establishment of that culture. He understands the inner workings of what has to happen. Okay, bringing him in, even though I don't think he's the greatest section of those guys, I think he's a good one. I think it's a very good fit for a team like Washington that's trying to rebuild. I really do. Then, in terms of what they do at offensive coordinator, if they bring in a defensive guy like Aaron Glenn, I'm just going to assume that they bring in Aaron, Aaron Glenn. I truly think the smart play would be bring in... Tanner Engstrand. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. He's the Lions passing game coordinator. I, I feel like that'd almost be a no-brainer if they end up going with Aaron Glenn. Although I would be very concerned that they could go with Pete Carmichael because, in case you didn't know, Aaron Glenn was the New Orleans D-backs coach for a while. Uh, and Pete Carmichael is not built for today's NFL. Simple as that. So if they go with him, that, that would be very, very bad. But Tanner, I think, would be a good hire. The Lions passing game was obviously on fire. He was a part of what made that offense so explosive. He worked under Ben Johnson. Of course, he's familiar with Aaron Glenn. I think it really is a good fit if they were to go with him. Now, another question from Hammy. What do I think of the Packers' new defensive coordinator hire? 
the Packers hired the Boston College head coach, Jeff Hafley. And I'm not going to lie. At first, I didn't know who this was. Okay, I didn't, or I heard the name, but I wasn't like aware that this is a defensive coordinator candidate. I looked into it, saw what other people were saying, and I, I would say I'm a decently big fan of this. It's going to cause a lot of change, but I think it's good change. I really do. The Packers have D-backs like Jair Alexander, who excel in tight physical coverage. Boston College ran a lot of that type of stuff. Especially cover one. They really like their man coverage. Very different from what Joe Barry was running. Very different. And that's a good thing because what Joe Barry was running wasn't very good. They want to play physical defense. And I'm excited to see what that brings out of the guys in the defensive front. Like, you know, your Kenny Clarks, your Devondre Campbells, your Rashawn Garys, your Lucas Van Nesses, who I really think his development is going to be a key part of this defensive coordinator hiring. I think a key thing they were looking at that not many people are going to keep in mind is how are you going to develop this young freak from Iowa? And I hope that this guy's going to be able to do it. I really do. But what I'm interested in seeing more than anything, and again, it's one of the major changes they might have to make. Boston College, and really any Salah disciple, Salah style defense, 4-3. It's a 4-3 base. And what were the Packers last year? They were a 3-4. So that's a major change. You're going to see Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, all these edges, focus way more on the pass rush, focus way more on being defensive linemen. And I'm excited to see that. I, I really am. Now, part of the beauty of a guy like Rashawn Gary is, you know, the speed. But I, I don't think making him gain a little bit more weight will really hurt that speed. And honestly, he doesn't really need to because he's just so strong. And same with Van Ness. I, I, again, Van Ness, I'm mentioning him because I think he's a key, key, key part of this defense's future. I think both those two can excel. In a 4-3 type of defense. And yeah, it's, it's going to be very different. It's going to go from a 3-4 base that ran a lot of soft zone to now 4-3 physical cover one heavy. A lot of man coverage. And I'm excited to see it. I really am. I think these are the changes that need to be made. I think it's a lot better fit for the talent. I'm excited to see it. Now... Walter Weichseel asked, Is Vrabel wanting to coach a contending team the main factor that's discouraging teams from hiring him as a head coach? And which teams should look to pick him up next year? And why is it Dallas, in parentheses? I think him being considered by some teams is interfered with by the fact he was fired unexpectedly and just the fact that these teams are trying to be the next, you know, they want to be looked at by the media as geniuses for who they hire. And the fact is, 
There's no pizzazz to hiring a head coach who has head coaching experience, okay? There's way more pizzazz when you bring in a, you know, Ben Johnson. Ooh, he was a really good offensive coordinator, but he's never been a head coach before. Time for me to bring in some new blood. You know, there's less pizzazz when you bring in a guy who's already established. But there's teams that need to do that, okay? Teams have been going with guys who haven't had head coaching jobs recently more often than ever this year. I I mean, it feels like everyone who got hired doesn't have head coaching experience. Really, Raheem Morris is the only one. And that was like more than a decade ago. Teams really like the idea of untapped potential. But with that said, there's a time and a place. Again, I've always been for the big head coach swings. I, I always have been. But I feel like there's a time and a place for it. I talked earlier about Seattle and what they did with Mike McDonald. I'm not a fan of that because I feel like they're not in a position where they need to be swinging big. But for whatever reason, teams want to get the next Shanahan. They want to get the next Sean McVay when a lot of the time when you're trying to swing big in order to do that, you end up stuck with someone who isn't very good. You know, a Brandon Staley, an Arthur Smith. You don't want one of those guys. So I do find it to be interesting that this is the approach a lot of teams are taking up. Although, again, you want to bring in Shanahan because that elevates your team so much. You want to bring in the next young X's nose guy that's just brilliant. You, you do. And guys who are known more as culture builders, like Vrabel, you know, there's a little bit, again, it's there's less pizzazz. It sells less tickets, okay? And I look at it, I don't think he deserves to be unemployed this year. I think he is definitely a top 10 head coach in this league, but teams don't care for the experience. They want to be the guy who finds the guy everyone's sleeping on, even if they're not sleeping on him. As for what team is going to bring him in, I mean, Dallas is the first to come to mind. I'm just going to agree with you on Dallas, okay? I could look more into, like, what head coaches might get fired next year. You know, if Salah gets fired, that could be an interesting landing spot on the Jets. But, no, let's just go with Dallas because it feels like the easy one. It really does. We know that they're not one of the teams that like to take those big gambles. And that's why Vrabel feels like a lock. And, again, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because they're a team that's going to be trying to compete. You know, they're not going to be committing to a rebuild. They have their quarterback. They have a lot of guys. I think too many teams want to reinvent the wheel. And that's not a bad mentality. If you're a team like Washington or Carolina, you know, you're not really on the clock. You know, you're trying to rebuild. But then there's teams like Seattle, Atlanta. They're trying to start the new wave when guys like Rabel can get by very, very well in this league, okay? And you're in a position where you want to be competing right now. You don't want to be losing games. You don't want to be building for the future. But the fact is, a young guy, he might not like the foundation you have in place, okay? He might not. Or he might just not be head coaching material. You don't know that. Vrabel, you know that he's head coaching material. I mean, look at the head coach who represented the AFC three out of the past four years. Andy Reid is an older guy who was hired after being fired from another head coaching job in Philly. 
Just because they're thrown to the side by one team doesn't make them worthless. That experience matters. It's important. And when a guy is very clearly good and then they get fired, you know, strike. You gotta strike. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And for some guys, it's very clear that they aren't just trash. Vrabel is one of them. When teams consider the weird GM situation in Tennessee, it makes you question if Vrabel's firing even had anything to do with his ability on the field. <laughs> it really does. So overall, to answer your question, because it feels like I'm being a little bit less direct, I think the reason Vrabel wasn't hired is because teams are, one, afraid to go with the head coach that was scrapped because they feel like there was a reason that they got fired. And then two... They're too busy trying to reinvent the wheel that they don't see the obvious candidate that's the clear answer. Now, last question for the episode before we wrap it up. With money issues at the top of the AFC East, does New England have a shot at the division if they draft a new quarterback? Listen, I love the narrative. I really do. But let's be honest with ourselves right here. No. No. I, I know, you know, these teams like the Bills, like the Dolphins, they're going to be falling off over the next couple of years. But what gives you optimism about New England? Without Bill, Bill Belichick, I really think that that defense is going to fall off. And that team is just so talent-deprived, it's difficult to say that it's possible that they're not the worst team in that division, especially with Aaron Rodgers coming back. Mayo and his staff will really have to do a phenomenal job in the offseason acquiring and developing talent along with scheming up ways to maximize that talent. I really don't think that's it's possible for them to do it that well even with the money issues that these other teams are going to have because New England isn't going to be good. It isn't. Are the other teams going to get worse? Yes. But New England has nothing to work with. Okay? In that division, they're the worst at quarterback. They're the worst in terms of pass catchers. They still don't have great O-line play. The D-line is the worst, and overall their defensive front is the worst. And they're the least established, right? They're completely reinventing their identity. You know, new coaching staff, new everything. And I just don't expect the coaching to be great. I, I really don't. Mayo, I heard good things about him, but I want to see it because this strikes me as them trying to hold on to... This strikes me as them trying to hold on to a culture that should be gone and very clearly hasn't been working as of late. To me, this year isn't about competing, about winning the division, even competing in the division. This year is about proving that there's still an NFL-caliber team without Belichick. Because frankly, I don't think there's a chance they sniff the playoffs unless they make drastic changes, and I don't care how well a rookie quarterback's going to play. I, I think there's so much more that needs to change. So much more. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed. Maybe I'll do more stuff like this in the future. You know, it was, it was a very interesting change of pace right here. You know, by week, we have the ability to do something like this. I really enjoy talking about the topics you guys are bringing up because I love hearing the fan input. So, thank you again for listening. If you want more of my content, check out at no huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces on TikTok. YouTube, and Instagram. And then, of course, if you want to play a role in 
things like this, check out my Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at no huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I see you, I will see you on Tuesday.